Hey, Chris. How's it going? Good, Jason. How are you today? Doing good, man. Welcome to the Leading and Serving Podcast. Episode number? 28. 28. Yeah. And I, I will tell you, it, it is off. I We have already recorded episode 29, and I... I, I knew I was going to botch that. We're so. living life out of order. Right. We totally are. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm not used to it, Jason. I know. Me either. I don't know. So We'll, we'll get there. We'll, we'll, but, uh, one way or another. Yeah. I'm really <laughs> excited that it sounds like, you know, the podcast is, is moving and grooving and yeah. people are kind of latching on and, and we're making an impact. Yes. I'm excited about so that. So excited about that. Because that's really the heart behind this is that. Totally is. You know, um, you know. We don't ever expect to be like walking a red carpet as podcasters. No, nope, no. And truly, at the beginning, like when we started this, the whole goal was just to just get information out there to help people out. Yeah, yeah. Like that we, we want to serve y'all and and impact. And so, um, we actually had a review come in through um, through Apple Podcasts. Oh, we did. Yeah, that's kind of cool. See, Apple Podcasts, you can give a review. Okay. Um, Spotify, um, you can't necessarily that I'm aware of. Okay. Um, and then other platforms I'm not as familiar with either. Those are the two that I know. But um, yeah, I mean, Apple Podcasts, we got a five-star review. Nice. Thank you. Out of five stars, not 10. Okay. That's, okay, that's good. That's a good point. To... <laughs> Expectations, right? <laughs> but yeah, we just want to say thanks to uh, B-Dog Sweenstar. Okay. Uh, I have no idea who that is. I have no idea who that is either. <laughs> but yeah, just, uh, yeah, started listening to the podcast over the last few weeks. Has really enjoyed the positive impact that... Um, you know, discussions about service, life and balance, work, relationships, life in general. Um, it's really been helpful for them. And so, wow, man, thanks for listening, B-Dog. Yeah. Thanks for giving us a, a review. Um, I know. That was awesome. And yeah. since you have such a cool nickname, I think Chris needs a cool nickname. Right. <laughs> we have to come up with it. Okay. So yeah, send us in some suggestions of uh, cool nicknames for Chris. Yes. I guess apparently I need a cool yeah, nickname. We'll come up with something. So... <laughs> But hey, uh, thanks for listening, and glad you guys tuned in. But uh, hey, we've been talking a little bit about the mindset that leaders should have, right. right? We've been talking about you know how leaders should work through role clarity, setting great expectations, uh, giving effective support and challenge. Um, one of the things that we need to think through as a leader is whether or not our actions are you know the things that we do are are, are they either accidental or are they intentional. Mm-hmm. And this is a leadership tool that we talked about. A handful of episodes ago, it's probably about probably about eight or ten episodes, if I am not counting correctly, right? Right. Um, that you know, just the difference between accidental, which is kind of a you're just responding to everything. Right. When a crisis hits, when something you know comes across your desk, you just respond quickly, and, mm-hmm. and you just kind of you feel maybe it's somewhat strategic, but it, if we're honest, it's just kind of accidental. Right. Our actions are just accidental. At it's that in point. the midst of life. And so, how do we be intentional? How are we being proactive and um, strategic and thought thoughtful in in our actions, mm-hmm. and you know, an intentional leader is someone who, um, you know, just cares more about the people they're serving mm-hmm. than than how you know than the business they're serving. Okay, mm. whether even if you're the owner. Right, you know, um, it, you know, solopreneurs. I guess we'd have to, you know, take a different angle on that a little bit. But right. you know, if you've got a team underneath you, um, you're, you know, an intentional leader, someone who's really de- digging in and diving into, um, you know, serving his people, her people, well. Right. Right. And that's done through your actions, not just your intentions. Right. You know, it's true. You know, good intentions are great. Right. And well, and I mean, how many times have you said you're going to do something and you didn't do it? 
Right. Like, right. I mean, we right. all, we and following through on your word. And don't get me wrong. We all do it. Like Absolutely. we're all busy and we're all at some level said and had good intentions of planning on doing it. Right. right. But didn't. Right. Right. And I know there was one, um, uh, what was the name of that? Uh, giftology. Yes. That was a good book. Yeah. You know, just a great concept of, of giving gifts well, right. you know, and they basically say if, you know, if you can't be really intentional about what you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, if you're just, you know, if you're just picking the the most expensive looking $5 thing you can find. Right. <laughs> the oh, intentions are good. Polished penny. <laughs> yeah. Your intentions are good, but be, your actions speak louder than your intentions. Right. And so, you know, don't give the little $5 gift. Right. And wait until you can do something really well. And be right. truly intentional, mm-hmm. and I think that's you know just the, the quality that we're thinking about in a leader is someone who's intentional about making a plan, thinking through you know because inten- intentionality requires that you kind of have that plan in advance, right? Yeah, you know if we're reactive and we're not you know we're just kind of accidental, we're just responding in the moment. Right. But intentional is thinking about things in advance, right? And setting and, a plan, and, and at some level, right? There's a whole. There's everybody's got to deal with some things that are in the midst of the, of the time of right now. But oh yeah, but thinking about Absolutely. tomorrow or you know two weeks from now or even six months from now mm-hmm. when you haven't got anything planned, then yeah, it's yeah. these things. This is the time to think about it. Yeah, I think you know being a leader, being an entrepreneur is about being able to respond in the moment. Right, right, and some of us handling the fires, handling the, <laughs> and some of us aren't wired this way, right? Right. So it's it's right. it's a, even another thing that potentially could take you out of your comfort zone of recognizing, hey, at some level, I need to be thinking about the next six months, right, and what they need to, what what do I need to get out of it? What do I need to be Absolutely. intentional with? Right, responding it, well in the moment is an incredible skill. It totally is, There's, but that's not all of leadership, right? It's amazing, like um, as we study more and more leaders, right. There's people that have the passions, but we also, uh, and they're very good at things, right? Mm-hmm. And you kind of like, I don't know about if you, but I like, man, I wish I could do that better. And then yeah. there's times I'm like, I don't know that I want to do that better because I don't enjoy that at all. But, you know, it's, it's recognizing <laughs> right. it for what it is and trying to help and asking for help in the process. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, you know, like you said, asking for help in the process, finding out who can who can help guide me, who can coach me, who can, right. you know, who's walked that road before me mm-hmm. um, that can help give me some, you know, some guidance in that. And so, yeah. so yeah, I think an intentional leader is someone who looks at their priorities, mm-hmm. you know, of which, you know, here on the Leading and Serving podcast, we say that, you know, fighting for the highest good of others is our number one priority. Right. You know, it's, it's more important than our bottom line. Right. You know, we definitely need to profit. We nef- definitely need to keep, you know, keep the engine running. <laughs> but right. in the end, we want to fight for the highest good of others. Right. And to be able to do that, we have to be intentional about it. We can't. We have to set that as a priority and something that we plan, something we focus on, and that we truly give our effort and our intent. You know, our our, our full action, our full strength behind it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. That's definitely one of those key things that needs to be paid attention to. Absolutely, absolutely. So. so. Well, Chris, tell us a little bit about our interview that we got well, coming up. It's funny that we're talking about intentionality because this person is very much an intentional servant. Okay. Um, and he is, um, his name is Brendan Sweeney. And um, I'm looking forward to discussing his path of life and and his ability to be very intentional because it's, you can't be a doctor without being intentional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to throw 
little accidental right like uh, trying to prescriptions around or anything like decide that. yeah at the last minute that you're going to go to med school is not exactly yeah. one of those things that's a last minute decision right. so right yeah so let's let's um we have he's a family practice doctor who has just recently taken a shift and so i would love to let's just jump right in yeah. and chat with i'm, him I'm excited about this this is our first glimpse on the podcast into kind of the medical world. And so right. this will be fun. We, we haven't touched to this. on this much. Yeah. So. All right. So here we go. We'll make the jump over. All right. Well, welcome, Brendan. Thank you. Good to be here. It yes. is. Thanks for joining us today. Glad to. It's a pretty day outside and I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Let's, uh, let's dive into it. So we're... Let's dive in. Where did you Where did you start? Where did Where was home growing mm -hmm. up? Are you an uh, Indiana native? I am. Yeah, I'm a Hoosier boy. I grew up in Bloomington. Okay. Um, so kind of different Indiana than up here. I feel like there's a lot more hills and. Um, anyway, but uh, great parents, really supportive. Um, five siblings, so pretty big family. Okay. And, and what number are you? I'm number five. You're the fifth one. Okay, so you're the youngest. So I'm second youngest. Yeah. Okay. Um, four boys, two girls. And again, yeah, just great parents, um, grew up in a home of faith, and just really good servant parents, active, um, good parents. My father's from California, mom's from Utah, so they were kind of transplants into Indiana. Oh, okay. And yeah. then uh, have, been, have stayed there ever since his uh, master's program. Huh. And uh, he works in computers, is retired now. And I, yeah, I was a big artist. I uh, paint, draw ceramics, stained glass, all sorts of stuff like that, and love it, but I haven't done it for several years. And um, I was a skater punk in high school. Really? Uh-huh, yeah. Wow, that's a, that was a good one. Bleach skater tips. Skater punk, tartan doctor. Jingo jeans. And, yeah, right. Really? <laughs> that's, we, need, we need a picture of that. We might have to. Hey, yeah. hey, Whitney, can you send us a picture of that? We'll get one for That's you. right. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, but yeah, and then, so I was... Really, so I was really good at math and science, but also art, so kind of an interesting blend. Mm -hmm. And I was planning to be a teacher, so I just had a really influential high school chemistry teacher who came from IU and taught at our high school. Just really great guy. He was in a Master of Arts teaching program and just really skillful teacher. And I just loved him as an educator. So I, I just thought I'd like to pay it forward and be a teacher. And I was in college, um, I guess I should say. So I took a break between high school and college, and I served a mission, uh, ecclesiastical mission, for two years in London, which was great. Okay. And then uh, came back, and while I, w I was a junior in undergrad at IU, and I was planning to do this teacher education training course that was an evening, so it was meant for uh, professionals, like post mm -hmm. postgraduate professionals. Yeah. And um, not a lot of undergrad students got in, but they accepted me for an in uh, interview. And I went and interviewed, and I was really excited about it. It was a great program, but I just felt really clearly in my pondering and prayer that night that I shouldn't be a teacher. And so it was just this hmm. really weird change for me. Oh, wow. And uh, just felt guided otherwise. And I felt like I should go in medicine and be a doctor, and I was not prepared for that at all. <laughs> and so I changed courses entirely. And I can see now the wisdom in it. I'm grateful to have that kind of guidance, but I think uh, I'm a little bit... Uh, not, I'm not very frugal with my money. I have all sorts of things that I want to... I'm kind of like you, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Different interests I want to pursue. Right. And so uh, I think a teacher's salary would have been, been hard. 
um, and I appreciate teachers. I think they're they're amazing. Right. But um, anyway, so I changed courses. Uh, I was always a careful, diligent student. Mm-hmm. Started pursuing you know pre medical degree and went into medicine and went to IU um, and then uh, chose family medicine, which is also just a great way to teach. I, yes, I, love, I was going to say. I love the one-on-one, They you know, They yeah, kind of coincide. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah. IU for undergrad and mm-hmm. then IU medical school. And medicine, yeah. Okay. I haven't, haven't gone far. And then stuck with the family medicine thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I chose family medicine. Uh, I was interested in, you know, developing relationships with people mm-hmm. and, uh, and teaching. And so I did that and then went to St. Francis for my residency yes. and graduated 2013. So I've been, I was in practice for nine years in family medicine here in Greenwood. And then just uh, March, uh, end of March, beginning of April, I changed entirely. So I, I'm now the director of two nursing homes and I work at another nursing home. So I supervise a team of nurse practitioners and okay. help take care of patients there. So hmm. Let's back up. For those yeah. that don't know, like high school and then um, undergrad, behind, between undergrad and then residency time frame, how mm-hmm. long did that, how long a schooling and then residency did is that? Yeah, for, good question. For family practice. Right, yeah. So you got your, three, your, your four years undergrad, <clears throat> and then uh, I did four years of medical school. Okay. Three years, family medicine's three years okay. of residency. So that's seven years, right? So seven years after undergrad. Okay, yeah. which so. is quite... A stint of time, <laughs> it's a right? Long time, yeah. You did a lot of learning in seven years, didn't you? I did, yeah. A lot of learning, and then how many kids? When we finished residency, we had four kids. So we had two during medical school and two during residency, I think. Yeah. Okay. So it was busy. <laughs> right? <laughs> so question then, how, you know, with that amount of schooling, what is what is the passion that drives, because you, you got to be dedicated mm. to make it that far, right. just to get out... Um, what is the passion that drove you through that of why, why do this? Yeah, good question. Um, I do love learning. So that was, okay. that was helpful. Um, yeah. I love to, I love science. I love learning. You know, it was fascinating to learn about the human body and systems. You know, not, not all of it did I like. Some of it is, you know, not as fun to learn, but, um, but I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. But also I, once we got into clinicals in medical school, I just loved it. You know, it was nice to visit with patients and get to know their history, you know, not just their health history, but just their life history and mm-hmm. okay. uh, come to know them and help them figure out. I'm, I'm a problem solver. I like, I like dealing with challenges and figuring out how to approach those challenges and overcome mm-hmm. them. And so, you know, doing that with humans is even better, you know, to help them work through their health challenges. Mm-hmm. So I find that very satisfying. So, so it was a combination, I think, of the knowledge base, learning fascinating things about the human body, and then how to help people work through those. Okay. So you definitely took the teaching role to a different spin, and now you have one-on-one people. Right. And you're, you got one-on-one classes every day, right. multiple nice. times a day, right? <laughs> most, most, uh, most school educators would love that, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so what's one of the best things that's happened to you since, uh, you know, say over that nine years of family practice, what's one of the best things, one of the victories that you thought... Yeah, this is why this is why we're here. That's a great question. So in my first year in practice, Miss Turner brought me a cherry pie. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like the highlight. I was like, I made it. I'm in family medicine. Right, you know, and I got a cherry pie. Cha-ching. It was great. She's so sweet. I sh- I know her still. Um, but yeah, that was just a great climax. And like, you know, I love my patients. I love taking care of them, getting to know them and just uh, to feel like I was part of a community and right 
Right. That's mm. great. That's a great thing. Yeah. But but in addition to that, just yeah, over the years developing those relationships and just really coming to know and appreciate them. We talk, you know, talk about their passions, their interests and mm-hmm. um, share uh, yeah, just a lot of discussion, a lot of heart-to-heart conversations and cuz at some level good. like a family practice talk isn't just like it's not just a one-off. Like like a heart doctor can be one-off. Mm-hmm. Like you just go see him once, but we're a family practice talk like you're more than likely just doing life with them, mm-hmm. whether through kids or even into not all, I mean, depending on the doctor, you're not always doing geriatric stuff, but you're helping them sometimes through, even through transitioning that through some of that stuff. Right. right? I mean, so you can be th- their doctor for their life pretty much. Sure. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So you mentioned that you made a transition. Uh, it's been a year or two years now. No, just a few months. Oh, months. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Talk us through that transition, how yeah. that, I mean, you move from, a, I assume, fairly successful practice, right, mm-hmm. into a whole different realm of, of medical care. So yeah. tell us about that transition and how that shifted in you. Sure. It was a very difficult decision. So I, you know, yeah, so I've been in, in practice for, for nine years, and I, I loved taking care of my patients. I loved, like we talked about, the things, you know, helping them. What I did not like was everything else. So, you know, I would work from seven, I start seeing patients at seven, and I would finish seeing patients at four if I was on time. You know, usually right. by the time I'm done with my last patient, it's about four, 24, 30, depending on how the day went. Maybe it's five mm-hmm. o'clock. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then everything else has to get done. And so, uh, if, you know, if you're a super efficient doctor, I guess you can get in and see your patients, talk to them, take care of their health needs, get all your notes finished, and then answer some phone calls, look at some lab results and some x-ray results or images or hospital notes, ER notes, all this stuff that's coming at you, and then you go see your next patient. But the reality is it's just really hard to do that and be that efficient and have a good relationship with your patients. And so Mm -hmm. that balance is very difficult to achieve and to maintain. And so I found that what would end up happening is I would spend more time in the room with my patients and I would just not get my notes done, my charting done for my patient visit, and I wouldn't get to those hospital notes or ER notes or labs mm-hmm. or images to be reviewed, which means that all that stuff just gets pushed back to the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Right. And so my passion for taking care of patients was being met, but all the requirements in order to maintain that were being pushed back to other times. And so I would, I would work you know, in the office from about 7 a.m. till 6 p.m., and then I would, every day I went to work, I would generate about two or three hours of work undone. Mm-hmm. Every day I worked. Right. And so that, that was just a very difficult burden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And right. it was true for nine years. And so Ooh. I would chart every night, I would chart in the mornings, I would chart every weekend. Right. And it's, it was, I, you know, I had no free time and it would affect the family. You know, I would, I would, I would work very hard on being present with my wife and children after work right. sure. in the evenings. But as soon as the kids are in bed, I yeah. have to get charting. And it's always in the back of my mind. It's always a weight that's there. <laughs> and, you know, again, just no, not a lot of quality de-stressing time. Mm-hmm. Right. It was all right. charting. And so I just, I realized I had to change something. I would adjust my schedule. I would try and make it so I could see less patients per day, allow more time for my patients, and, you know, just carefully make these adjustments. But when you're living in 100% 
more than 100% all the time, yeah. and I have no mental space for anything else, it was very difficult even to make small changes mm. because I felt so overwhelmed all the time at work yeah. Yeah. Right. that the idea of even trying to think about something different was almost impossible because hmm. I was just trying hmm. to keep afloat, you know, right. take care of everything. So it was difficult to make changes, but I did, hmm. and I could cut that two or three hours of extra work each day down to one or two by the time I was at the end of that nine-year period, but I couldn't really manage it all. So you think that you made changes, and you think that they they were effective yeah. at some level, but it's not, but I think so. You, and just so I'm I'm trying to make sure I'm understanding you correctly, like you're hitting your passion spots mm-hmm. for the things that you want to, you're excited about doing, but by the end of the day, when you've running out of energy because you've hit your passion spots, then you have to go back and follow up with the problem, with the stuff that's kind of been coming through the day that's <laughs> yes. behind you. Right. Um, that's got to get done too. Right. That's exactly. not exactly passionate about. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so for you, this would be like doing finances for three hours a day at the end right. of your work, right? Right. That, that would be horrible. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, and, and I, I'm sure, like, to your point, like, the stress that would come from that on top of the fact that it has to get done, not just the stress of getting it done, but also the stress of knowing, I had that headache coming. Mm-hmm. I, I, did you did you feel that burden? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, Is that real? It like, was hard. It was I hard. I bet. And yeah. so just to, I can totally appreciate trying to make changes, and then it helping, but just struggling through the process to make those changes because of the stress level and because mm-hmm. of whether it's the stress of you just don't want to do it or the stress that you have to do it. And yes, exactly. Like it, it's compounding. Right. Yeah, and it was it was tough because it was also conflicted by the fact that I loved spending time with my patients. Right. And so it yeah. was this dichotomy of something I really love and passionate about. Right. But then mixed with something I just did not love. Right. Yeah. And it was a constant burden. And then to add that into the mix of trying to balance out, you know, the thing the other thing you're passionate about is your family, mm-hmm. and having to take away from that over something you're not passionate about. <laughs> right. That, that's got to be quite a struggle. It was. It was hard. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So I was, I was, you know, I, I would look occasionally at other options. There's kind of different models of primary care. Mm-hmm. Um, and I interviewed with a couple of different offices a few years ago, but just didn't really feel like it was the right fit. Um, and then I was actually approached for this new job by the director of these nursing homes who knew me from the hospital. And he asked me if I would come in and, you know, I, just a very different pace, very different quality of life balance and so mm. Mm. uh coming wow. to work you know much more reasonable hours much shorter hours and taking care of patients going home and i'm done when i leave the office and i'm yeah i'm not taking any work home and my guess is you probably at some level still have to do the things that you don't enjoy yeah like there's still pap- some charting still charting and mm-hmm. paperwork yeah. that you probably have to do but mm-hmm. it probably looks completely different doesn't it yeah it does and it happens within the block of time i'm at the nursing home, and yeah. I leave it and, and so you walk can, out the door. So your two passions are not conflicting. Right, exactly. Yeah, That's awesome. Wow. That's huge. I mean, that's a uh, – my guess is that's a huge um, shift for a lot of people if they could figure out how to balance that out, uh, mm-hmm. balance out their passions and be able to – even though the stuff you have to always – you're always going to have to take care of some things, right? Right. I mean, like yeah. you're always right. going to have to do something that's not in your passion, in your real house. But um, being able to – balance that out so that you can do your passions is huge. Right. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So before we go, uh, I want to keep exploring this new role. <laughs> sure. um, but real quickly, thinking about nine years of family practice and, you know, and you're just talking, you know, just 
seeing the window into the life of, of a doctor um, over these last few minutes makes me wonder, is there anything that you would want to tell patients? Mm. Like if you would just, you know, if, if patients just understood this about their doctors and, you know, Chris, you're married to a doctor. So, <laughs> you know, um, what, what is, what is a mindset shift that you would just love to see the general public of patients, um, you know, embrace about their doctor and yeah, it's a great question. It's a great question. It's one that I would never tell patients myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> but right. I'm ha- but I'm happy to say it in this setting. Exactly. <laughs> so, and I'm sincere about it. But um, so, yeah, I I guess, um, yeah. So, so because this was interesting lesson for me to learn as a new doctor. Okay. So when I came into practice, I, you know, when you go to see your doctor <coughs> as a patient, as an individual, you want your doctor to address all of your medical needs, you know, all Mm -hmm. your concerns, right? which is a reasonable expectation for an individual. But what you don't have in your head as a patient is that they can't address all of them. You know, there's just, depending on the length of your list, right? So Mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's only so much time. And for me, it was important when a patient brings me a concern, I want to know all the elements of that concern to be able to address it appropriately, which Mm -hmm. takes time Mm -hmm. and understanding and questions and, you know, a lot of listening. And so... If I'm going to address your concern appropriately, it's going to take a while. And so if you bring up six or seven of them, that's just not possible. Right, and right. it happens a lot. <laughs> and, so, and so I guess my advice would be when you go to see your doctor, have one or two things that are really important to you to address mm-hmm. with the doctor. And if you have a list of seven or eight and you're not sure which one's most important, ask your doctor and say, you know, right. this is my list of things. Can you tell me which ones are most important? If I don't have a clear answer to that one myself as the patient, um, hopefully I can come up with my top two myself. But right. if I don't, you know, can you guide me? And then I had a few patients in that you know, I learned over time how to address that and would say, okay, well, let's look at your list. Let's decide the most important ones and let's tackle those first. And then we'll kind of move down the list mm-hmm. over time. This is going to take a few visits. You know, we're not going to do this in one visit. And just having the sensitivity and awareness of the doctor's time and commitment to other mm-hmm. patients and that, the, that they have a sincere desire to help you with your concern, right. but it's going to take some time to do that. Right. That's my, that would be my advice. Okay. That's, that's great. That is really good. I like that. So it's not, um, you know, jump on WebMD and make your own diagnosis and then sure. come tell me how to do my job. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. I can, I, can, I can bring you the printout stock if you need me that's to. Right. That's right. <laughs> right. Right. That's right. So in your new role then, um, tell us a little bit about um, – because uh, you're leading some teams right there at the nursing homes, you're in multiple homes. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about leadership and how you're, um, you know, bringing impact to those environments. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and, and it carries over from my previous work too. But yeah, so I, I lead a group. There's four full-time nurse practitioners and a part-time, um, and so helping them um, with their work, seeing patients, and um, yeah, I enjoy it. You know, it's that aspect is still pretty new to me. But I enjoy the opportunity to yeah to work with them when they have questions and kind of talk through patient difficult patient scenarios, um, and just figure out that balance to help them take good care of patients and be satisfied with their work, um, and also you know their efforts to help me and. Um, so does, help. That, does that look like? Sorry, I didn't mm-hmm. mean to interrupt. But is that like more? Would you consider that more of like a teaching role? Is that is that a teaching role or like a guidance role? Or yeah, guidance. I, I mean, there's some teaching as well okay. if they have con- questions. Um, but yeah, 
yeah, more guidance really with their patient care and their decisions and mm-hmm. and they ask me to be involved in more difficult patients. They'll see some that are less complicated and you know, we'll work together as a team in that way too. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So you so it's are you trying to do you encourage like the team atmosphere with those people since you guys kind of all have to report together? Right. Is that how that works? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's definitely, uh, hey, we all need to work together kind of thing. Absolutely. That's yep. awesome. Yeah. And what's what's your population that you're serving? I mean, how many people do you usually serve? Yeah, good question. So two of the nursing homes have between, it depends, but 120, 180 people okay um and then the other one is more like 100 but they're a lot more complicated yeah patients on ventilators and you know, chronic um like trachs in their neck you know to help mm-hmm. them breathe so um so yeah there's large large right. groups of people so there's most of our work is helping patients who are in the rehab phase so it's when you're really sick you're in the hospital you know let's say you fell and broke your hip or something you're not really ready enough to go home Mm-hmm. but you're well enough to leave the hospital. Okay. So medically you're stable, but you just can't be home yet. Mm-hmm. And so they're they're working with physical therapy, occupational therapy, you know, getting their strength up, speech therapy if they had a stroke or whatever, you know, and then um, trying to get improved and get home. And so those patients we'll see very often. We'll see them every couple of days mm-hmm. because they're just barely out of the hospital and then help them transition medically to getting home and following up with their doctor and and specialists. And then uh, the other patients, the other kind of half of the patients we're managing are patients who are long-term residents of the nursing home. So they live there mm-hmm. and we are their primary care doctor. So we'll check uh-huh. on them every couple months, you know, on a regular visit. And then if there's any concerns or anything come up they're worried about, then we'll see them that or day you, usually yeah. or the next day. Mm-hmm. So it's a balance of those two. And so we'll work as a team to figure out, okay, you know, these are all the new ones coming in. We got to see them soon, you know, within the first day or two when they come into the nursing home. We're going to check on them and mm-hmm. make sure everything's good with their medicines, going to the hospital and all this. And then I'll usually see them, you know, I'll be there within the first 48 hours. And then the long-term residents, we kind of schedule out between us as a team. You know, they'll see them sometimes, I'll see them sometimes. And so is there anything different that is um, with your new environment versus your old environment as far as, like, leading? Because I know you led your team, um, that you had a team for you mm-hmm. uh, with your family practice. But is there any difference between these two teams? Oh, yeah. It's very different. Yeah. So before in family medicine, in my practice, you know, we had a whole diversity of our team members. You know, you have your front office. You have your office manager. You have your um, the MAs, you know, who help room the patients, call the patients. And um, so you're working with a lot of different people with different skill sets. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really the direct manager of them. Our office manager technically was their manager, but mm-hmm. we're right. working together as teams all day. Right. And so you just, you know, just great relationships working with them. But um, learning how to take care of patients well, and they were great, the people I worked with. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting balance, you know, where you're not their supervisor, but right. you are taking care of patients together. You are a team mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, just collaborating with things. You know, mo- again, most of the things they did great. But if there's ever a, something that's missed or a problem with a patient, you know, we'll communicate that together. When you guys encounter a uh, maybe a breakdown of communication, say, mm. you know, because you've got interrelated teams here that, like you said, you're not directly over, but there's influence over each other. Um, when you encounter a breakdown in communication, how would you guys work through that? What are some of the things that you all – 
strategies you use? Yeah, that's a good question. So when I first started practice, I didn't know any of this, and I was not good at it. <laughs> so I would often just try and you know talk to the medical assistant about it directly and not involve the office manager, which, you know, I don't know, I guess it wasn't fine. <laughs> but um, because, you know, I had a you know relationship with them taking care of our patients, right. and I felt like I could talk to them about those concerns, and which is fine. But I learned after a few years that it was really much more effective if I incorporated our office manager. So number one, she is their direct supervisor, mm -hmm. and she's responsible for their training mm -hmm. and any corrections if there's something serious, you know. Right. But um, by including her, she was able to be a part of that communication process. And so that was very helpful mm -hmm. because she could follow up with them. She could, you know, touch base with them, make sure that they're doing well, keeping the behavior the way it needs to be done, and uh, training new MAs that were coming into the office mm -hmm. to make sure that we're, you know, taking care of patients appropriately. So that was very helpful to include the, the manager in that process. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And being a self-proclaimed problem solver, right? <laughs> sure. Um, you know, and, and of course, you know, a problem solver who's drawn to the human body of which we understand really relatively very little, I think, <laughs> in the end run, right? Sure. You know, we're going to problem solve that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, when it comes to solving problems, you know, whether that's, whether that's medical or that's, you know, among the team, among leadership, or, uh, you know, just how we're going to serve our, you know, our population um, in the homes or, you know, whatnot. Um, boy, I lost my train of thought. We're going to have to edit this moment. <laughs> Where was I going? I glanced. For some reason, my eyes went past the clock, and I didn't see anything. But it problem solving threw me off. Uh, problem solving. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm gonna go toward like strategies. What you know, steps you, how you work through solving a problem. Sure. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. So being a self-proclaimed problem solver. Okay, um, you you enjoy tackling problems, whether that's in uh, within the medical field or it's within um, you know leadership or working with your teams and helping you know bring the appropriate care to those who need it most, right? Right. Yeah. Um, how do you tackle problem solving? What are some of the strategies? What are some of the steps or processes that you think through? You know, what's your first step? How do you how do you go about all that? Yeah, good question. So for me, it is very important to understand the problem thoroughly. And so I, you know, while I am, we talked earlier before the recording about I am a creative first is my, my first voice. Um, so I definitely am very forward thinking. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I, well, definitely my wife and I were talking this morning about how I lack the uh, effort to put all the pieces into play before I start my project. <laughs> sometimes it's just better to start the project. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Get yeah. the pieces along the way. Right. Um, but when it comes to problems generally, especially in medicine, um, in my work, I am very careful to ask a lot of questions and understand the the situation carefully. So when it came to patient care, I would I would just you know make sure I listened a lot, understood a lot. What was the problem, and then figure out there from there how to address it. Um, and so I think asking the right questions was key mm -hmm. to know to know what's the what is the problem itself. What is the basis for the problem? You know, if, if a patient's having trouble with high blood pressure, are, are they taking their medicine? Are they missing their medicine? Is it too expensive? Is there a side effect of the medicine? You know, there's all sorts of facets, right? And so hmm. in order to manage that, you know, yes, I could prescribe you a second blood pressure medicine, but I would much rather figure out what's the problem 
you know, with the current medicine or, you know, is there something that can be right. done to address it? Or, you know, if you're eating too much salt and not exercising, you know, let's, let's address that and not, not add another medicine at all. And so, um, so those are, I think that to me is important because I want to take good care of the patient. And to me, that means understanding where the patient is. Mm. Okay. That's good. That is cool. That is cool. Um, <clears throat> I'm struggling. Sorry. No, you're going to do some heavy editing on this one, apparently. <laughs> um, well, so then um, now you've thrown me off. Thanks, Jason. I was. We normally flow a lot better. We do. You're good. You're fine. Day. You're fine. You're good. Sorry, um, Brendan. So one thing. Um, Go ahead. I was just going to say um, when I when I was making this change, it was really difficult for me at first to decide. So again, I guess maybe it is kind of my creative brain, but when I was faced with this idea, leaving family medicine, these patients I took care of for nine years, their kids, several of them I delivered as like their OB doctor when I was in residency training. And then I took care of the parents, took care of grandparents. And it was really difficult for me to think about walking away from these people that mm. I come to love and, yeah. and care for. And the thought that you know kept coming into my mind is, okay, so if I leave this, go work in a nursing home, is this the kind of person I want to be? You know, in my head, I was going to be a family doctor that grows older with my patients, and I'm there, and yeah. you know, for years, and to be that kind of iconic family doctor, you know, that I've always appreciated in my life, and and how much does that matter to me? Mm-hmm. And that was a really difficult decision, and I. You know, and, and what do I want to be? You know, do I want to be a nursing home director for years? Do I want to, you know, do pursue more healthcare education? You know, work at like a medical school or work more at the residency and teach residents. And so it just was a lot of soul searching to decide what do I really want? You know, what is my goal here? And the thought that came to me, which is very, and this was a, you know, again, a moment of pondering and prayer and just felt guided that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter so much what, for me, and for some people, maybe it does matter. But right. for me, it doesn't matter so much what my job is. What hmm. matters is how I do my job. Hmm. And, and it's much more important for me personally to be known for how I do my job than what my job is. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that was a very helpful thought process to come to. Hmm. That's, that's and I, good. And that's I feel cool. that is important. Yeah. 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 So, and, and truly, like... Um, in your entire process of, of becoming who you are now, right? You've kind of hit all your passions with teaching and and the community and serving. And like so truly at the end of the day, like even even with those different options that you had in your head, you were gonna probably be able to hit those passions without a problem. Mm-hmm. But it was trying to figure out how to best do that for you and making sure that you could do it successfully. Right. So was there was uh, you mentioned it? Is was there a shift? That, like, with, it sounds like there was somewhat of a struggle to leave what you thought was going to happen with what you wanted to do long term. Yes. Like so, that thought process of hey, I'm going to grow old with my patients and I'm going to be with them for their entire lives. Right. Like, and then shifting to the job you are now. Tell us, because I mean, at some level, there's many people who are driven in the world who have a plan and expectation. And then you hit this speed bump. How do you overcome that? Like, how do you balance that out for Brendan who, yeah. who transitioned, but also needed to make sure he hit the passions 
that he's currently passionate That's about, which question. is his family and his and his teaching. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, it's a good question. So yeah, and that's and that's really where this thought process. Yeah, where. The, I really had to think a lot through all that, and I decided, yeah, I, I do want to take care of patients. Yep. I don't. I decided I don't care so much the avenue in which I am taking care of patients. So one of my patients, when I was announced that I was leaving, I, he said, you know, so is this a passion of yours? Have you always wanted to go like work in a nursing home and help with rehab patients? I said, oh no no no, this is not a passion of mine. I it's just going to be a much better quality of life change. And and so for me, the passion is my wife and my family. Mm-hmm. And I also just have other hobbies and interests that I would like to engage in right. that I was unable to engage in previously. Right. right. And so, uh, but but family certainly is the top priority. And so, so for me, the passion. Yes, I'm able to continue my passion of caring for patients. It changes the venue in which I do that, mm-hmm. but it allows me to keep the core passion value, which is my time with my wife, time with my kids. Right. Mm-hmm. So just a couple months on this side of that transition. What have been the ripple effects? You know, we talked about what's led up to that transition. Right. How have you felt the ripple effects of this decision of going from, you know, you're saying you're adding two to three hours a day of, you know, for every day you worked, you're adding another couple hours of work. And mm-hmm. so the overwhelm just kept building and building mm-hmm. and building. And so you're going from having to operate at 130% capacity, say, <laughs> down to, wow, I, I'm, I'm in my limits now. Right, exactly. It's yeah. been amazing. Yeah, I've, I've discovered this thing people call free time. It's it's unusual, but I like it. <laughs> what? You have free time? I know. So, yeah, so some days, you know, I finish pretty early. I'll finish at like 2 o'clock or uh, a couple of days. In my training, uh, to be fair, my load was lighter because I wasn't managing all three facilities. Right, but right. I'd be done at noon, and I'd come home, and my wife was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> You're in my free time now. I know, right, right. <laughs> Go back to work. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm often now, I'm actually home when the kids get off the bus and it's great. It's really nice. It's nice to be, it's nice to be present more, mm-hmm. which That's I was awesome. not able to be. So. so you've definitely felt the ripple effect into your family life mm-hmm. and, you know, the, your first passion, yes, right? I mean, exactly. Yeah. So I, I, wanted to, I wanted to touch on this too real quick, just for those that might potentially be struggling with a, a shift in life that you kind of sound like you went through, mm-hmm. like with a lot of prayer and guidance. Um, at some level, did it, it sounds like you kind of said, okay, well, this is my first passion. This is what I'm called to first. This is what I'm called to second. And staying true to yourself, but also recognizing that they have a little different level of importance in your own life yes, for you. Exactly. Is that accurate? I agree. Exactly. Yep. And, and certainly work was the dominant demand in my life. And so changing, yeah, to meet what really is value number one. For you. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and that's... That's been great. Thanks. I bet that's, I bet that, I bet that's been, I mean, you even said nine years of trying to make changes at Mm -hmm. different levels. Like this was a big change. I Mm -hmm. bet this took a lot of time and capacity, mental capacity to wrap your head around with, to try to make a change like this. Right. Because this was a different shift. It was. It's very, very big shift. And to be, to be honest, there was a time in that initial phase where I started to have, where I went from that 130% down to, you know, I don't know whatever, 70 <laughs> percent, um, where I felt kind of guilty that I had right. n- didn't have that stress load. 
Mm-hmm. And you know, there's That's times in life I think we all feel that, right? Where I like things right. are easier, and we're like, "Wow, what do I do now?" Right. And um, my wife and I are reading this book. Actually, it's we've been slowly reading it over time. Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I don't know, you know this. Yes, one. I'm in such the middle of that. Book. Yeah. It's such a good book. It is. <laughs> and it is. and he talks about this. Uh, it's almost. In a way, almost like an addiction to be stressed and busy yeah. yes. in our current society. Completely yeah. agree. And uh, and that the, following the way of Christ, as you know, his perspective as a pastor is, you know, to take on the apprenticeship of, of a follower of Christ and to take on his mannerisms and character and right yeah. and to he was not a hurried person. He didn't come off as someone who was too busy for you. Right. And right. and um, anyway, but it's been helpful perspective to. Think about how can my life be more purposeful in the time that I have available to dedicate to all of these things, mm-hmm. and how do I put the most important things first? That's awesome. That's that's good. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. I think we just, I think we just wrapped that up. Right. I think um, that was solid. Yeah. Well, so I know that we've touched on a lot today, and I, I once again thank you for coming and hanging out with us yeah. today. Sure. It's just, I know that it's probably. We went over some stuff in 40 minutes, but I'm sure that this transition of time and things that you've gone through over the last year have probably been somewhat grueling at moments, but also, you know, um, I'm glad to see that on the backside of it, that you're happy and that, you know, what might feel like 70% for you might be 100% as well for the people around you, which is awesome. Yeah. So... Um, thank you for sharing those real, real life situations. Then hope, mm-hmm. hopefully, they can encourage somebody else out there that it's out, you know, might potentially be listening to something and trying to make hard decisions because they come. Mm-hmm. Those career changes are hard. They yeah. are. Yeah. They're hard. And especially when you, at some level, think you're going to be doing something for the rest of your life and it's like you get a curveball in there. <laughs> it's, right. it's not easy. And yeah, right. like we talked about, you know, when you're in the middle of it, of that stress level, it's just hard to think about doing anything differently. Yes. So I think, yeah, looking for yeah. mentors, looking for people that can help right. steer you. What are your other options? You know, what's right. out there as an Because it's not always A or B. Mm-hmm. It might be C, D, or E, and F. You know, right. You never know. Yeah. And opening yourself up to that is just is a process, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's thank you stuff. again for spending some time with us. Absolutely. Um, and thanks for sharing. Thank you so much for all you do in our community. Yes. And, thank you for you know, I mean, medical is one of those huge moments where people are just in crisis. And, you know, thank you for stepping in the gap and and caring for people well. Yeah, and thanks for sharing those passions with us today. Yeah, sure. You bet. All right. We'll catch you guys back here in just a moment. Well, Jason, I really, uh, I do. I know Brendan on a personal level too. Yeah, and I will tell Thanks you. Thanks for introducing us. He is a phenomenal guy, and I really—it's funny that we were able to sit down at this point. You know, it's like um, where he has—you know—he has been such a strong leader for so long in all of his environments. I'm sure because yeah, you got to know him. Like he's just—he's just a great guy and a great servant. And um, but it was great to talk with him because I am sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that. What we didn't, I didn't think about was trying to make a transition like that, I'm sure was very difficult. Absolutely. And was probably, um, you know, in this time of we're dealing with, we're coming out of the great resignation time frame and where people are, are rethinking life and what they want out of it and trying to figure out their passions and trying to figure out what they want to do. And, mm-hmm. 
and trying to align their current skill sets with what they could potentially do with them um, because the current job is not meeting the satisfactory goals of what they want. You know, it's just, and for a guy like Brendan who decided that he wanted to be um, a doctor for his patients for the rest of his life and then to get thrown that curveball, I just, I can't imagine... I was trying to imagine, I guess, at some level, what that struggle was like, and it, right. I'm sure it right. was not easy. Absolutely. And after we after we stopped the interview, we talked a little bit about, you know, peeking into our own lives of understanding the transferable skills that we have. Right. And you know, and so I think I think that was a huge part of his transition was listening to other people and seeing, yeah, I do have other things to offer. Right. That still meets. I want to do you know, here's my passion, right? but my skills help me, you know? And so, um, yeah, I'd, I'd encourage you, you know, if you're listening and thinking about transition to, um, you know, talk to people who are familiar with your industry, what you mm-hmm. do, yeah. but are probably outside of it. Right. Um, Cause that would give a little bit of objectivity of going, yeah, here's, here's the transferable skills that I see in you. Right. Here's what I see you being good at. Right. You know? And what I also love is that even it didn't matter what scenario he ended up with. He knew his passions. Yeah. Of taking care of people, absolutely. His he he is a great physician, yeah, and he does an excellent job of taking care of his patients. So it didn't matter what setting he was going to be in; he's always going to do an excellent job of taking care of his people. Yeah. If you're one of his people, um, then Doctor Sweeney's going to take care of you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, so absolutely, I appreciate. it that he was able to stay true mm-hmm. to that as in, yeah. in the process of trying to figure out what that transition was. Right. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to keep mulling over the, you know, some of the things he was talking about of just feeling the overwhelm in the family practice that, right. you know, he'd work a day and add two or three hours to the back burner that had to get done at some right. point, you know, which I think that, you know, I think that many people go through their day and they don't think about the things that, or, or they do, yeah. maybe they do. I mean, like he thought about, he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, he had to get that stuff done yeah. too. So yeah. it's like, and yeah, it's gotta be somewhat of a grueling process. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's talking about, you know, just making these incremental changes that in the end don't solve the problem. Right. You know, I can, I can maybe make a change that's going to lower my overwhelm a few percentage points. Right. But I'm still overwhelmed, right? And so, you know, as a fellow creative, you know, he, uh, you know, I'm so glad he jumped on before the podcast and took the five voices. That was kind of fun, right? Kind of know, you know, where he's coming from and things like that. But you know, him and I are both creative first voice, and that's kind of part of our personalities that we we like digging in deep to the point of overwhelm and burnout, and yeah. then we we get in that state. And we're like, what do we do? How do right. we get out? <laughs> You know, and so, you know, the, the courage that it took to, to say, I'm going to, I need to make a large scale change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that, that was huge. That was yeah. cool. It's good stuff. Yeah. So, so thanks again. Yeah. 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 You guys, uh, you know, bake some cherry pies for your doctors. For your, for your physicians. Yeah. Or, you know, find out what unhealthy food your doctors like. Right. <laughs> Take that to them. Um, but yeah. Cause um, they're, you know, they're trying to serve their people as well. Like absolutely. At a, at a whole new level. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Well, you guys, thanks for tuning in today. Uh, give us a like, subscribe, send us a comment. Um, you know, shoot us an email. If you've got a question or somebody in the community that uh, you think would be a great interview that we need to meet, um, hear their story, let us know. We'd Please. love to hear about that. Um, and uh, we got more new stuff coming up. Yeah. But stay, but uh, 
let us know what you're thinking about the current information and what we're putting out. And That's right. That's right. Send us a comment. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, tuning in, and you guys keep uh, serving. 